Hey, this is Chris Trump. Aloha and welcome. You're listening to The Probiotic Life. This podcast is where we explore the intricate relationships between human health, soil health, and ecological systems. Join me now for another exploratory conversation on The Probiotic Life. Welcome once again, everybody, you guys and gals. How are you doing out there today? I'm actually doing really well um, because I'm just getting more and more deeper down the rabbit hole into this probiotic life. I don't know if you guys saw on Instagram the other day, I posted a little video of uh, me pouring some kvass into the bathwater for my little kiddos. Um, That was heaps of fun. I'm just trying stuff um, and I'd love you to share your ideas about the probiotic life too. Look, we don't want to get anyone sick or, you know, um, have a case of botulism on our hands, but let's let's experiment. Let's try stuff and share with me, you know, share with me. I'm on Instagram a lot more often than I am on Facebook. I like pictures a lot. So, um, but for today, we've got an uh, interview with someone a guru, you may call him, in Korean natural farming. His name is Chris Trump. Check out his website, chrisTrump.com. Yes, it's spelt the same as Mr. Donald Trump, um, but no relation. Actually, I'm, I try and make a joke about that and you'll hear. He's just like, this guy, Chris, he's a humble dude. I'll, I'll let you listen to that. So we talk about, uh, he's a farmer, so we talk about Korean natural farming. We talk about uh, stewardship of the land. We talk about the philosophy behind uh, Korean natural farming. Yeah, we get into a little bit of philosophy and religion and that sort of stuff. Um, But hey, yeah, I like to take it anywhere that it goes with with our guests. So check him out, chrisTrump.com. He's getting that up and running as we speak. Uh, Check him out on the Korean natural farming Facebook page. Just search Korean natural farming. Um, on Instagram, at Soil Steward, and he's got a YouTube channel too. I'll have all those links up on there. And look out next episode. We have somebody, you may, may know him. His name is Mr. Sandor Alex Katz, wrote The Art of Fermentation. So look out for that one. That one's coming up next. Um, but for now, here's the interview with Chris Trump. So today's guest um, is coming all the way from uh, Boise, Idaho, and I first heard about him or saw him on some YouTube videos and uh, then connected with him on uh, Facebook, on the online community through Korean Natural Farming. So welcome to the show, Chris Trump. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for making time. And so just for all the listeners out there, there's no relationship to any other um, well-known Trumps at the moment. He's a great uncle. <laughs> He's a great uncle, is he? Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure to somebody. <laughs> Not mine. <laughs> Not yours. 
<laughs> okay, fair enough. So, yeah, uh, I connected with you through the Korean Natural Farming um, Group and movement, and that seems to be your um, area of expertise. Yeah. So How did that come, come about? How did you share with us a little bit about your, um, your growing up, your life, what sort of set you in the mindset to receive the idea of natural farming? Oh, wow. Storytelling. That's good. Yeah. Um, it's For me, it's fun to kind of see the journey and be in the journey. Um, I sometimes kind of marvel at it. But um, I was born, I'm the son of a farmer. I was born on a farm. Um, well, I was born in a hospital, but they took me home to a farm. And uh, the um, that life is awesome. I'm super thankful and grateful for that uh, just opportunity to grow up around pigs and chickens and cattle. And um, got to ranch with the Hawaiian cowboys. And so we branded and castrated and lunch would be, uh, you know, uh, Rocky Mountain oysters and the sea urchins, purple sea urchins we picked off the shore and, and all the juice you could drink. So. It was, um, it was a lot of fun, fun stuff. And, um, we grew pineapples and eggplant and raised pigs and sheep. My dad, uh, brought over the first hair sheep to the big Island of Hawaii. Um, he brought them over from a university and the idea was to eventually get them to Micronesia and some of these places that, um, didn't have a good source of meat. Um, other than cattle, and they didn't have refrigeration, so a sheep would be much easier to eat for a small groups. So yeah, a lot of a lot of diversity in, in agriculture growing up. But thirty years ago, my dad um, started farming macadamia nuts, and um, it's so that's been a lot of my kind of childhood is learning orchard farming and. Um, and learning from some really great um, experts in the field, um, being able to be around them and hear the recommendations. And um, there were times, though, that we kind of scratched our heads. Um, and I remember as I got older and really started understanding, you know, the recommendations of the extension agent, you know, and your pH is wrong, you know. So for 10 years, we get a prescription of Lyme, you know, so many thousand pound per acre and and uh after 10 years of doing that same prescription I, I remember just kind of scratching my head like why are we listening to these people you know and it's it's not a bad thing it's actually great for the orchard but it was also there was just times growing up where I realized there's some things to learn um several years ago we had a crop failure this is the beginning of natural farming for me. Um, we had um, 80% crop loss. So it's 800 acres. I mean, it was complete devastation. It was a green stink bug um, that bores through the shell. And it was, it just, the conditions were perfect and it took over. And so we were losing the farm. We sold all the equipment. We had to lay everybody off at the small community and we're in business to provide quality jobs. I mean, it should be a nonprofit, but it's, uh, 
it's like unofficial profit sharing. It's it's really awesome, and there it's family. It's a lot of people we've known for a long time, and um, so that was tough. It was really stressful, and um, my dad's house was collateral, so we we're going to lose the house. And in the end, we got a little bit of crop insurance, and we're able to let it belong. And so we bought a few pieces of equipment back, and we had a skeleton crew, and we farmed the easiest to farm trees, which ended up at that time we were a split operation, 360 organic and 400-something conventional. And so we just farmed the conventional because our organic trees were hard. There was a lot of mowing, um, and there wasn't the nutrition was really expensive, and our trees weren't doing super well. And so during that time of kind of building back a business after kind of being totally out of business, um, we let the organic go fallow. And over a period of three years, the grass grew tall up into the trees, six, seven feet, and, um, and the trees began to green up really well. They had been yellowed and kind of malnourished, um, even though we were composting. Can you give us a bit of an idea? You're talking about the traditional way of farming uh, macadamias and then the organic way, and you're saying that the traditional way was easier. Uh, can, you, can you explain a bit about why that was easier at first? And maybe even go into uh, Hawaii's tropical, right? What sort of soil do you have there? Um, and, you know, uh, so we can understand a bit more why that was the situation for you. Sure. Um, we have a few different soil types on our farm, um, but sandy loam and um, kind of old lava flow. We have a couple different lava flows that go through our place. And um, so in conventional, um, you can use these really inexpensive, big fat fertilizers, 103010. Um, per acre, um, a whole lot less expensive than a lot of organic options we had at that time. Um, and in addition, right before the crop starts falling, you go in and you spray, you know, a 10, 15 foot, um, herbicide strip. And so that kills all the grass in your harvesting zone. So we harvest on the ground with, uh, pinwheel harvesters. And so they're picking up and if they don't have grass, they just, it's flawless. So um, one pass tends to the grass for months, and um, that has a huge cost saving in labor and manpower. Um, the trees were doing fairly well with just the conventional fertilizer, um, and so you can kind of get a lot of production for uh, kind of cheap input. Right. Whereas at that time, for organic, we had this massive compost operation we were working on. There was a lot of man hours, a lot of material handling. Um, and then if we wanted to buy fertilizer, we're talking about bringing in, you know, um, off island shipping from the mainland. And um, during that period of time, fertilizer in general, um, even conventional, was going up drastically. Um, shipping was going up the price of oil was going up. So we, mm. I think in the like four year period, we had like a 400% increase in the cost to get fertilizer delivered kind of around the same time. So, um, cheap was good. And so the conventional 
when we needed to make some money that year. Like we didn't have a whole lot of wiggle room to kind of spend on organic in hopes of a future kind of turnaround. We had to get we had to get some nuts off the ground. So we weren't fertilizing, we were herbiciding and um, and picking up nuts. So this is you know maybe ten years ago, um, and it worked. We were we were you know we we limped back into a, uh, a full on business. But during that time, the um, organic trees were, were really starting to look good. Now, they had been struggling partially because of just kind of bad practice, partially because we were kind of a hand-to-mouth um, operation where we didn't have a whole lot of capital to spend on really good nutrition for the trees. But um, what happened as those trees started thriving now with no care, when we were spending a bunch of money and labor to give them this nutrition. And now without that nutrition and without anything, they're starting to thrive. It was a kind of a, a moment where mostly my dad kind of stopped and said, so what's happening here? And he was running a business. He didn't really have time to um, kind of focus on that. But that was about the time I came back and, and started working full time. And um, that was kind of one of the questions, one of the things as I came in that we were asking, what, what is this? What can we do differently as farmers? And um, though I grew up as a farmer, I got a degree in biblical studies. And so not super related. Um, so I thought, but there's some interesting correlations. So you went somewhere else. You went to uh, the mainland to study. Yeah, I went to I went to school in the mainland, Southern California, and um, but my Leviticus teacher was the head uh, microbiology chair for Azusa Pacific, and um, we got into some things in kind of this. So this is this like group of people wandering through the desert, twenty five hundred BC. And they just came out of Egypt, the like most disease-ridden culture we have kind of in the history books. And uh, they're told that if they'll follow these precepts, these ideas, these rules, they won't have diseases. And so start digging into what this is. And they're like, if you, um, they, they had quarantine, they were given quarantine. And then they were given this thing where they were told to take hyssop and cedar and now hyssop has the active ingredient there the ingredient thymol which is our active ingredient in mm. listerine it's an antimicrobial and then cedar is so high in carbon that no bacteria can eat it so on a camping trip one of the only things you know that's bacteria free is cedar and so they take this cedar grit and this thymol uh, filled plant they rub it together under running water and they've just been given 2500 BC the hand washing practices we use for our surgeons before surgery, you know, grit and antibacterial soap under running water. And uh, we were disbarring and running out of town doctors that were talking about hand washing in the 1700s. Mm, yeah. We didn't have hand washing then. So it, there was some other stuff in there about resting the land. Every seven years, rest the land. And so basically what we decided to do on our farm we were working full on we were farming we didn't have 
like a whole bunch of extra time to go dig up stuff. But what we committed to in this zone or area of question was to know nothing. Like, okay, we have all this ag knowledge. Our extension agents aren't really telling us what has changed in our field. And so we just said, we're not, we're going to commit not to know anything. And in that process, um, or in about that time, I met Master Cho for the first time. And that was in Hawaii. Yeah. That was in Hawaii, yeah. Um, kind of through the um, FFA, Future Farmers of America program, a friend, uh, David Fuertes, got a grant to bring him over. And um, the first time I heard about natural farming was Dr. Park was doing a little free class and um, he was getting heckled. I mean, he was talking about things and these, you know, lifetime farmers are like, you can't do that, you know. And uh, and then, um, yeah, Master Cho came over, um, Ju Young, his daughter. Um, I learned also, I, I took a class, uh, Kim Chang is a peer now. We do a lot of things together, but uh, she took a class and she had just kind of gotten into it. And um, yeah, but... We um, we did a 14-tree trial on our farm. And because um, we kind of were like, we're going to try this natural farming um, for real. We're not going to cut corners. We're going to do it exactly as it's prescribed. But we don't believe it works necessarily. We're not going to give it the benefit of the doubt. If it works, we'll put more energy into it. If it doesn't work, we're not going to do it because we believe in a philosophy. We, we have to pay the bills. Right. So so you're going into it like saying that I we don't know anything about this, but it, it's really going to be guilty until proven innocent. Pretty much. We're not we're not going to we're not going to. Um, yeah, we're not going to make it fail because we do it wrong. We're going to make sure we do it right. But um, yeah, we're not giving it the benefit of the doubt. We're not going to. Um, turn our farm into a natural farming farm um, even though all these people are saying oh this is so great we're, we're just going to see and so we did 14 trees um, and in that we had a bunch of disease trees um, there's a root borne fungal disease called Phytophthora and um, in macadamia nuts we call it macadamia quick decline or macadamia slow decline and um we had a bunch of that in this trial um, and some healthy trees. And the healthy trees looked good after a year. Um, and it was kind of hard to assess. But the diseased trees were what was really interesting because they're defoliating. And so they started refoliating in the first year. Um, we did um, an application of IMO and soil treatment solution and a tiny bit of biochar. And um, we did some variation on a few different trees but that was basically the prescription but the trees came back to life they're these these funky yellow defoliated i mean macadamia nut farmers don't know what i'm talking about but it's um even even tree farmers you see a phytophthora tree it just looks it's on its way out i mean in conventional ag you don't recover phytophthora trees there's not a cure um anyway so that was super interesting we're like, okay. And then um, we went on from there to a five-acre um, trial. And uh, when I was getting ready to try and 
make IMO for five acres, which was like, you know, uh, you know, 5,000 pounds or something. Um, we, uh, we found out there was a machine on the island. And, um, so I'm like, oh, I'm just going to buy it, bought it. It wasn't quite right. I bought them at that time. I was like, wow, I really need to, our, our trees yellowed, um, our five acre plot yellowed and, uh, looked really bad. And I was like, okay, what's going on here? So was that before or after the application of the IMO? Right after the application. It was like the trees reacted horribly. It was like we just... And was this, was this a couple years out of like um, after when you guys were like pretty much on the edge? Um, no, sorry. Yeah, timeline. Um, no, this is, we're probably four years out of that five years out of that so we had we had kind of come back to a full business right yeah right. so you were in that place where it was like really tough and then slowly slowly um getting back on your feet the business right. getting back on your feet um and at this point you had a few more um people working for you or you still had like quite a small crew no we had a we we run about 16 uh, year-round employees and then uh, seasonally we get up to 30 something um, and those are mostly hand harvest um, um, workers that um, yeah which we don't have very much of anymore right. so we run a little bit more so so in that time just just going back there for a second um, that must have been pretty hard for you guys I mean as a family and you know laying off people that you had known for a while what like what was it like? What what are some of the things that sort of stood out to you to, to keep you going in that time? Um, I think the I think it's the um, just the identity of farmer. <laughs> um, I wasn't working full time with my family uh, in ag at that time. Um, I mean, we were involved, you know, as a family business and around, but. Um, I was on the mainland and, um, but yeah, at, at that point when you get like your, everything you've built crumbles as far as hard work and everything. And, um, why do you keep going? I think, I think that's a, that's a question as, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. I mean, you kind of, at that point you say, this is a bad business, get out of it. But there's, there's <laughs> this joy and satisfaction in, in farming that, uh, is, goes beyond the dollar, I think. Yeah. And, um, I think my whole family is, um, kind of got that, uh, gene or something, whatever you want to call it, but we, we love it. And, you know, a lot of the people we work with, uh, coworkers, you know, a lot of the options in our town is, you know, I mean, there aren't a lot of options. It's either the kind of tourism industry um, or what we're doing. Um, there's not there's not a whole lot of other businesses in town. And so that would have meant, you know, driving 40 minutes to go to a hotel to, you know, landscape or something for a lot of these guys. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so it it's... Um, yeah, it's what we do. We're farmers. Yeah, yeah I, I don't have a, an answer beyond that. No, that's all right. I mean, I, I understand here um, in Western Australia, you know, a lot of 
the the larger sort of properties they're running um, cattle and that sort of stuff or they're doing grains um, you know we have the the wheat belt you know we're, we're a million square kilometers in Western Australia and only two million people and most of them live in Perth so it's like really um, sparsely populated and a lot of these farmers are actually suicide because they they're so like up um, to the eyeballs in debt you know um, right. they got no right. other options um, so I would love to be able to see like what you're doing some other options you know Joel Salatin what he does with polyphase farms these these ways that we can actually um, integrate farming back into um, uh, community life and just a holistic lifestyle right. in general you know that that's why I'm excited about talking to you about this sort of stuff totally so uh, so bring us back to uh, what you were talking about you started to get these trials going and what happened from there yeah it was um, it was a point where we had to kind of throw in the towel or really wrap our heads around it and so I, we just looked at it, we talked about it, and we're like, okay, we can't just buy this stuff and trust somebody else to make it. It doesn't work like that. So we had great results with 14 trees. If we want to go the next stage to five acres, we gotta, we got to get into it. And so I got to study a little bit um, with Elaine Ingham and um, bought myself a microscope and... Uh, started asking the questions why did this yellow our trees and looked at the material still had some a uh, couple uh, super sacks and it was mostly bacterial and um, so I realized through learning from Elaine um, that it was um, it wasn't right for our trees our trees needed highly fungal environment to thrive and I had just basically doused them and change the kind of percentage of their soil to highly bacterial. And um, so we went about making some stuff, um, made it for five acres, um, some work to figure out how to scale up. Most of what I learned was wheelbarrows, I mean, um, scale-wise. And that's a lot of what there is in Korea because they, they, they'll team up but there'll be an acre farm next to each other. There'll be two, you know, two families running an acre farm. So there wasn't any scale. So that is something that uh, I had to figure out. And uh, so we did that. We applied it on five acres, and then we had an eight-month drought event. And I know we live in Hawaii. We don't have drought, but, but we did. And the entire orchard yellowed, um, just showed water stress. And... Um, except this 14 tree trial and this five acre block that we had now was a year into um, having IMO application on it and mulch. And um, we looked at that and I mean, it was pretty stark. And for us, we said, at least it's drought resistance, you know, and that does show that there's something going on under the soil. And so we went for it after that kind of farming by colors I call it, you know, because we had this whole, you know, 700 something acres of yellow and this patches of green. And it really was stark. We um, we did scaled up to 50 and then uh, we ran a kind of continuous trial for four or five years on 122 acres. And that 122 acres thrived. 
um, again, all our disease trees are coming back. They're, they're back in full production by year three. And um, there was a lot of, lot of good reasons to continue doing it. And so we looked at that and we made a decision to convert our entire acreage at that point. So we went from 122 acres to um, kind of 800 acres um, in Korean natural farming. And um, there's, there's a lot of kind of blood, sweat, and tears in the midst of that to figure out how to scale up and do all that. But where we are right now is we're certified organic. We're in our last year of transition from the conventional. Um, so next year we'll have all 800 acres certified organic right now, 360 are. We, our entire nutrition program costs us $27 per acre per year. That's the labor to make the material, all the material itself, and the labor to apply it. $27 per acre per year. And, um, wow, that's, that's insane. Yeah, that's for us, that's a big deal. And our trees are looking better than they ever have. Our production is on a, on a steady rise, it's not decreasing. Um, we use um, homeopathic amounts of nitrogen in comparison to what the industry says you have to use for macadamia nuts. And yet, our trees are in the high production numbers per acre for macadamia nuts, including Australia's numbers. Wow. So, because I'm, I'm thinking about right now, thinking of buying a bag of NPK Blue. Um, I don't know if it's similar over there, but, you know, the, the standard sort of stuff. I think it's about $50 a bag. That would not last a whole year on, on one acre. That, that's insane. And so, are you saying that the, um, the production is the same or, like, in terms of, like, com comparatively... Yeah. traditional farming to to the natural farming you're on par pretty much yeah um the 120 the stuff that's been in natural farming for over three years um that's that's beating um that's in the top um kind of categories for um, natural farming conventional or organic um, per acre kind of quantity in that zone is is way up there the the kind of changeover or the the training for the trees is is a three year process. Right. So our conventional is is up there. Our, our conventional that's in transition is up there. We don't have um, low numbers, but it's also I think that has that has time. It's in it's 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 growing towards it. But we still have great production there. I mean, our whole farm is we're really we're really grateful for that. But um. The cost, the one thing that's hard to quantify is we have gone in the conventional from herbicide strips to mowing, and that has a cost um, where we, we have now an increased mowing, but it also has a benefit. Um, we have um, this organic matter that's constantly being laid down right on the trees. Um, in conventional, you have this problem with exposed roots are organic there's no problem with exposed roots yeah. because there's the organic matters there and stuff's growing in there and our the life of the soils there and um yeah so ultimately it's a cheaper way to farm for us and and more productive and in addition we get to be organic so our our income um per pound has gone up as well so it's it's a one of the things that 
we needed to do because we weren't going to change our philosophy of um, kind of providing a high wage or a living wage plus benefits. Um, we had to make something else had to get. We had to get more profitable somehow. And um, for for us, green natural farming gave us the avenue to become more profitable as a farm. And um, I left a year ago because I felt like it was time. I just felt like I was supposed to move to Boise, Idaho. So me and my family packed up and jumped on a plane. And now I teach, help teach refugees how to farm and people that are taking some of this knowledge to kind of some suppressed areas in the third world. And um, and we we farm three acres to supply a food bank with um, with uh, fresh produce. So the people when they come on Wednesdays and Saturdays. They get what we have in the pantry from kind of picking up, um, and then they get their pick of the farm's produce, which is crates and crates of all kinds of good stuff. So wow. It's, um, it's sweet. Yeah, I've seen some of the uh, the photos that you've been uh, posting of all these huge tomatoes and all sorts of um, produce that you've got going on over there. So it's really been... This is like a, a passion for you now, it sounds like. You're, you're actually not just doing something as a business, but you're teaching other people. So, so now, now you're over there, and what's, what's your plan? What's the, where do you want to go with it? Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, I do, I do see a world um, where there's medicine on the shelf. I mean, I went to Konguk University. I've been to Korea several, several times in this journey to, to learn, and so, you know, six, seven times um, I've visited and Konguk University is a private um, ag university and well, it's everything university, but they have an ag division and they, you can take a doctorate, uh, go through a doctorate program in Korean natural farming. But um, they call it natural science farming at the university because they want people to understand this is uh, a science-based ag program. And, uh, but they, they studied Chinese cabbage grown conventionally, organically. Now, all organic's not the same. There's organic inputs, not like good compost, something, just organic inputs. Um, and then using uh, microbes in Korean natural farming. And um, they, fast forward, it's a, it was a long study with a lot of details, but um, si um, side by side, they did it in containers um, and they did Chinese cabbage, kind of what they would make for kimchi. And uh, in the end, the yield was almost identical all the way across, all three of them. The vitamins and minerals were almost identical. But then they got into phytonutrients. And before, this is like three years ago, and I heard this study. Before I heard this, I didn't even know what a phytonutrient was, honestly. But um, they, they started showing the phytonutrients. And in this conventional and organic it was um, these high and these trans fats and these kind of fats that we would say are bad fats. And these are raw vegetables. And then really low in these um, different lipids and omegas um, that are vital for our immune system and brain function. And then in this one grown with biology, the trans fats, these, these funky fats weren't there. And um, all these phytonutrients were just great numbers and and really um, full of nutrition. And I kind of had a moment at that time where I was like, that's our medical issue. That's why we have these weird kind of autoimmune things and 
And I said, yeah, this good food is medicine. Food grown with living soil is what our body needs to function properly. And so I just kind of, yeah, at that point, I guess it became um, not only a business, but also something like our world could change if we kind of farmers were equipped to farm profitably, really profitably, and have plenty of time and um, to make the highest quality food. And so I figure mm. if the knowledge is readily available and um, people succeed with it, then slowly and in time we will have a, a new generation of farmers that get to enjoy what they're doing and uh, get to feel good about it and are healthy doing it and profitable. I mean, yeah, I'm a farmer. You, you can't farm. It's not a... It's not a uh, charity thing. You know, you have to be able to make a living. Otherwise, you stop sustaining. Sustainable is a funny word. And uh, if you can't be there year after year, or if your your kids can't follow in, then it's not sustainable. Yeah, wow. That's, um, it's really interesting, Chris. Uh, I mean, a lot of what you're saying, I'm just connecting with. Uh, because I'm trying to keep up with the, you know, the, the latest things in... I guess farming, you know, agriculture is a big part of it. To me, I live in suburbia. We keep, we rent, so every time we move, I'm moving all my plants. Um, yeah. Which is four times the amount of trailer loads that we do for all of our furniture. So, um, but the idea is that um, creating a lifestyle that is sustainable and going further than that, regenerative, um, I, from what I've heard and read, this is the first generation that has had an uptick in um, farming, going back to farming, uh, which I think is really interesting. So what you're doing is actually really important and that's why I want to be on board with um, supporting you. Also, I've been going through um, the Bionutrient Food Association. They have a, a conference every year or every six months, I think it is. It's going through their last one and, and last time, they had someone presenting about IMOs and I was like, this is fantastic. So they've got people, you know, they talk about remineralizing the soil, um, all the stuff from Steve Solomon and all that, but getting into the microbes as well and being able to, you know, start farming um, in a way that I believe is more in line with uh, what Mother Nature has intended us to live like with being part of the solution. I'm just really excited about that, um, Chris. So um, what would you say is one of the biggest um, values that you've learnt? Uh, let me try and clarify it a bit. Um, any sort of mindsets that you had to throw away and, and pick up a new mindset to move forward? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that kind of strikes me in, in this, and I guess... Um, that I'm striving to kind of seeking to kind of make a part of who I am in not just most of the time, but kind of in everything is um, kind of uh, in Hawaii, we'd say um, kuleana. Kuleana means privileged responsibility. There's, there's more to it, but that's the snippet. And I feel like um, with this knowledge, 
I've been blessed with a privileged responsibility. And not just the knowledge to learn about natural farming, but the knowledge to apply it and live it on a real farm and see it kind of meet profitability. And so I, I feel a privileged responsibility to share it. And, um, and I guess the part that I want to let settle in my life as kind of the, an unalterable aspect of my character in this or, um, and, and even convey to the next generation is, um, love. And, uh, it was funny when we took natural farming the first time, my friend Poncho, San Pedro, who's actually, you know, Neil Young and crazy horse. Mm -hmm. Um, anyways, he's, he's a rocker. So we, we took the class together and we sit there and look at our notes and he's like, man, like every other word in my notes is love. (laughs) And, um, I realized that there's, there's this freely giving of natural farming that is why kind of we got access to it. It isn't this like hoarded, hidden, you know, we have the only secret kind of thing. It's, it's, it's given away in a, um, in a kind of loving manner. And um, I want to do the same and also um, not worry about, you know, not being um, that, that if other people thrive and surpass anything anybody's done before them, like it's a win. There's no, we don't need to hold on to this stuff. We don't need to hold on to the knowledge. It doesn't need to be hoarded. If, if the whole world shifts to successfully farming with living soil and the rivers flow into the ocean with ton teeming with microbes, you know, that we're going to have uh, a world that is is healthy and and ultimately will be good stewards. Um, the idea of stewardship, I guess, is kind of the umbrella of that, and it's it's that this it isn't just ours, it isn't just mine. You know, we have this um, again, Kuliana, to take care of what we have, and um, for. You know, agriculture and tending to the land and tending to our bodies. There's a lot of really cool ways to take care of the earth and take care of our health. And so this Korean natural farming isn't even, there's no, we're not thinking it's the only way, but it is an elegant method to really stewarding or taking care of uh, the soil um, ecology and soil food web and kind of the things that tend to health in humans. Mm-hmm. That's, um, I really love that idea, Kuliana. I think the Hawaiians have so many cool things. Like, I mean, they pretty much invented surfing. <laughs> um, like, it's true. That the, the, the culture, it's, it's like a, a philosophy behind it that seems to fit in really well with natural farming. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it does. Um, and the so one of the central kind of things in natural farming is that um, 
just the premise, the the kind of basic philosophy that all this was designed, that it's that it's a intricately woven symphony where all the parts work together in um, kind of a interdependent community type manner. And so you look at all these things and there's not one without the other. And the concept too, one of the central things is that the idea that the earth began at some point and it began in the order of ocean, then up out of the ocean land mm. and the land came up out of the ocean and the land came second and so the the one of the korean natural farming kind of um philosophies is that the ocean is the mother of the land and the mother of a lot of carbon-based life and uh, and if you go kind of across everything you see those that diverse mineral complex is that's really vital to us and the land Remineralization, you know, seawater has this beautiful, extremely diverse snapshot of minerals. And uh, so we use a lot of seawater in natural farming. Mm, Yeah, the ocean. I mean, I think uh, from what I understand, you're referring to the story of creation um, in the Bible. and I love how um, it is very poetic, and I, I don't understand, you know, how it all works together. But there's that idea um, that sometimes we miss, especially in the English language, you know, of like um, God as the Father. But um, in the traditional Hebrew, the, the um, idea of the Spirit, the, um, the Holy Spirit, is actually a, a female presence. It's a female um idea so there's like the father the son and the holy spirit which is a it's like a family unit um mm. i guess this is getting into more philosophy now but um i like that idea that uh korean natural farming fits into that philosophy of community of family uh keep referring to him joel salatin talks about um creating fiefdoms for you know, his kids, or not for his kids, but his people around him creating fiefdom. So each person has their own ability to pro- provide and be part of a community. Um, so this community aspect is is what I'd love to share with more people through the probiotic life, is that you start with one thing, whether it's Korean natural farming, whether it's just making some sourdough or some kombucha. Right. And, and, and starting, and it creates that, positive feedback loop of you're creating life and then you can share that life and you create life and share life and it's like this this upward cycle rather than um us just being consumers so now you're in boise idaho and you're you're working for a non-profit is that right what what's how do you how are you providing for your wife and five children yeah yeah so i uh i i went from managing a multi-million dollar uh macadamia nut business to now i uh work for 12 dollars an hour and and uh i mow the grass and i weed eat the the property of this uh non-profit and and um i have like eight hours a week to oversee uh 
um, kind of uh, volunteers and, and whatnot in this garden. And then uh, any more time I want to farm, I got to volunteer myself. So I spend some, some time volunteering and my family and I would go down and um, we, we do Korean natural farming and teach people in, in the midst of working. And so we have a, a crew that knows now in the year they've learned how to make liquid IMO and uh, clean out the, the brew container and make it again and so they spray it out in the evening we have a little atv with a 25 gallon sprayer and they drive up and down the rows spraying our uh, plants with and our tomatoes and whatnot with liquid imo teaching them the nutrient cycle and spraying uh, calcium and you know and uh, when we have crops and and calcium phosphate when we are getting ready to become uh, full of uh yeah, so it's 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 a blast, and um, you know, at the same time, I'm gonna be. I, I just realized there's the need to continually help facilitate people becoming kind of experts in natural farming. So, in November seventh um, through the eleventh, I will do a type uh, uh, level two certification for natural farming. So we'll get in five days. It'll be as intensive as you can get with natural farming. So we'll do most all inputs you can do in natural farming in a five-day period. And I will um, try and give them information like a fire hose, you know, just uh, as much as they can take in for uh, five days and then send them off to review their notes and and try and uh, make it all work on their farm. So, (laughs) Yeah. Well, we can definitely um, send a uh, set up a link for that on the uh, podcast show notes if you just send me something there. Yeah, totally. Yeah, maybe I'll come out to Australia and do one. That would be fantastic. In fact, I'm uh, going to be connecting with someone who, who else I found here in Perth who's doing Korean natural farming. Uh, so we're going to have a bit of a chat and see... Um, what we can do there cool because uh, once again like you said it's it's one tool in the tool belt but it's something that um it's it's life-giving which i really like yeah well and there's a lot of there's a lot of the inputs you know that we use them on a farm i mean i have generally i have three inputs that my family's taken all the time you know lab um any gut things any um you know, kind of cramps in the gut, and uh, I get to, I have LAB fresh and, and uh, well-made in my fridge, and I feed it to my kids. Awesome. I give it to my infants, you know, uh, if they're if they're pretty young, you know, they need that good stuff in their gut. And, um, you know, and I make it myself, and I know kind of that, the quality, you know, and then OHN is awesome for knocking out colds, or you get a scratch in the back of your throat, I um, I use that all the time, and that's kind of tra- traditional Chinese medicine. It's, mm. it's ferments, and, um, and just the the strength that some of these plants have. So, yeah, it's um, it's fun. And right now, I uh, I'm taking my FPJ. So I I came up with a process to as I scaled up. I had a lot of materials that I was working with, a lot of FPJ, and my leftovers. I figured out that you really simply you could turn them into vinegar. 
And so I shared that with the natural farming community. We all do that now. But I said, I wonder if you can make something a little higher um, value. Vinegar is pretty valuable, but we're trying to be profitable farmers that allow us to invite other people to come farm with us. And so I took my FPJ leavings from my jalapeno this last time. I made jalapeno FPJ. Cool. And I'm making a jalapeno uh, champagne. So it's bubbling over here. That's so cool. Yeah, so so that'll be ready in, a, in about a month. And um, I don't know. I just I think that um, these things, these these concepts that we relegate to professionals, you know, with these we got to go to the doctor to get our health and figure out how to do it. And it's like a lot of our health comes from the land and, and these these things that are already happening we just need to cultivate it and uh, bring it into our life and as a yeah like you said adding life Mm. and uh what one thing that i want to start gaining momentum in in the probiotic life is to get people to do citizen science like this like how cool is that to be making um jalapeno champagne (laughs) i mean (laughs) Did you even have to add sugar or you know stuff to to get it going with the yeast? Yeah, so so the leftovers with from the FPJ have a ton of sugar, but if you want, there's so much solids in there, and you really need that. So I did I did do um, I added water, and I added sugar to the water because I'm this is an experiment, so I wasn't sure how much momentum I'd get with just the sugar on the leftovers. So I, um, I kind of gauged it and added, um, so I added, uh, I'll tell you my recipe. I had, um, probably two gallons of leftover FPJ jalapeno and sugar stuff. And then I added, um, maybe about, um, four gallons. So two gallons by volume, but there was some room for liquid in there. Uh, two gallons by volume of the leftovers. And then I added about four gallons of water with about four pounds per gallon of uh, sugar added in uh, that I heated up on the stove. And so it is, yeah, it is definitely some added sugar. And then I thought about just using the wild yeast from the jalapeno because it had all kind of wild yeast from fermenting at the FPJ. But I figured that would get me to about three or 5% alcohol. And I thought, a jalapeno champagne would probably be a little more tasty than a jalapeno beer. And mm-hmm. so I, at that point, just, you know, it's a flip of a coin, but I decided to go for a, a slightly higher alcohol content. So I did buy some kind of um, brewer's yeast, some, some champagne yeast, and uh, added that in. But I think you could do the same process with the yeast off any vegetable or um, fruit. And you could get to that, you know, beer, beer level alcohol content. Yeah. And so, yeah, we'll see. I, I don't think I'm going to send you a bottle, but <laughs> I'll tell you how it tastes. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what I love. And as I'm going deeper down the rabbit hole of um, just probiotic everything, uh, I just harvested some mugwort yesterday, which I'm going to brew into um, beer uh, with some raisins. I, I, I was very inspired by it. Um, I don't know if you heard of uh, Pascal Bedard. 
He's a uh, he's a uh, Belgium dude living in LA. He's got this book called The New Wildcrafted Cuisine, and it's just a beautiful book. Like he's uh, you know, um, I think he's a photographer by trade. But um, he, oh, cool. he wild crafts all these things, and a lot of them are like vinegars and ferments. And he teaches about how to do beer, the um, old school method before the whole um, you know Bavarian purity law came in. Oh, cool! So uh, uses lemon uh, as for citric acid in there, just boils that, and then boils. I think he uses not mugwort, but some other bitter. Um, uh, herb that grows naturally around there, sage and that all that sort of stuff. So I'm like, yes, getting onto this. I just made some raisin cider um, with uh, raisins and bay leaf. Nice. But I'm definitely going to try with my next FPJ. It's going to try try making some sort of uh, drinkable ferment out of it. Yeah. So you you could use the whole FPJ ferment it and then transfer it to a, a fermentation vessel with an airlock and but i like i like the um so we'll we'll make some hot sauce um we'll make some hot sauce with our fpj and i just like that it's uh it's this thing you can take fresh veggies as a farmer you got to be able to sell you know fresh veggies some but maybe not all farmers can maybe getting it to market fresh is like just extremely expensive there's all these options to do with all kinds of different crops and not just crops with your weeds i mean mugwort is the weed of south korea it literally grows in all the medians and everywhere all by itself really you know i mean yeah to to think that you could yeah make a valuable cider or you know it's yeah i mean like we're farming here i have the refugees come in and farm and uh you know just really want to treat them they're honored guests you know and and uh and it's been a lot of fun and it's um they're you know we grow pumpkins and they they uh, they're one of their favorite foods is a pumpkin shoots so they get the vine as it shoots and that goes into stir fry and stuff like that but um the, the congolese that we have here that have come over they're one of their favorite veggies for um, dishes is amaranth. Well, amaranth is literally our weed. It is our garden's weed, and we're pulling it up by the droves. And um, they came and brought me seeds, and you know, because I'm telling them they can all farm. Just bring me seeds. We'll help. We'll get you a row. We make sure your water and your t- nutrition's taken care of. You can just you know come farm, and uh, they they trying to bring me amaranth seeds and i was like you guys like we have an acre of amaranth <laughs> you know it's, it's just awesome and uh i think um a lot of what we kind of can do with um just being uh, yeah open to letting letting uh nature teach us all over again you know we don't just have to eat corn or uh, rice, you know. There's uh, there's abundant food, and uh, the earth is good for making food if we'll tend to it. Mm-hmm. It's a good good message. Yeah. So, is there any any things that you're um, excited about on the horizon? Um, I've heard some rumors of uh, some studies that you're either a part of or been connected to. 
Any anything that um, you're interested in that's coming up in terms of you or Korean natural farming? Yeah, um, I did a fireweed trial, um, which is a huge um, grassland problem, um, and uh, I hypothesized that it was a um, soil fertility problem, uh, largely due to an imbalance of bacteria um, in grassland. Um, and so I balanced on a two-acre plot um, the soil's microbes into a more balanced kind of fungal bacterial ratio, and all the fireweed died within uh, three months on its own. It all got diseased or eaten by bugs, and so 100% was gone. The grassland fertility returned, and uh, it was really cheap to do. So um, I left Hawaii, but the R&D of the Hawaii County um, pitched me a kind of open check to say, hey, what would it cost for you to run that and kind of create a business where farmer uh, kind of ranch guys can access that kind of success? And um, I decided that that was going to stretch me too thin going back and forth to Hawaii and Idaho with my family. And so I actually handed that off to the CGNF group, CGNF Hawaii, which is the Cho Global Natural Farming um, kind of entity there, nonprofit. And um, they're going to run with it and uh, make it kind of one of their first offerings. Um, it's a trial right now, but they got funded to kind of start up. And that would be really cool. Um, there's a major problem. Um, I think the University of Hawaii and the state's already spent a couple million trying to fix that. And uh, so if that can be fixed through simple... Um, IMO application or even liquid IMO. So down at $27 per acre, I'd be pretty stoked with that. That'd feel really good. Yeah. And then um, I'm working with, uh, we're going to do a trial with MIT to um, use um, shotgun metagenomics to study the microbial diversity from uh, soil to IMO1 to IMO2 to IMO3 to IMO4 to IMO5 and then to applied uh, soil patch and then a year later to that soil after application so really seeing what kind of diversity passes through this um, IMO process and so that's pretty cool for me I feel like it's the first step to um, I guess I haven't read all studies or whatever um, and I have a lot of reading to do in the realm of who's studying what with um, metagenomics but I feel like for me, it'll be a huge step in understanding um, the diversity. The whole I, I preach that we're we need to maximize microbial diversity in our farms and mm. our soil because that'll give us the best disease resistance and the best um, kind of crop health. And um, but really being able to see that and and kind of show it on paper to people that don't know what I'm talking about that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, maximize microbial diversity. I like that idea. I mean, I think that's what the probiotic life is all about. Yeah, so I'm excited about those. It's interesting that you talk about that, Chris, uh, about the fireweed, because that's uh, quite a big um, problem here in Western Australia as well. And also the uh, Phytophthora, we have a, one called Phytophthora cinnamomi, and that's, um, we call it Jarrah dieback here, because you can see how the, the, all the limbs start to um, die and fall off. It's a massive problem 
um, here. If uh, if anyone's listening who wants to start a trial, I'll definitely help them start that up. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd buy out for that if they if they got deep pockets. Me and Ben could do it. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it's it's totally fixable. Um, the the key with that is um, diverse fungal um, species. You can't um, you can't knock out Phytophthora with like a bacterial input. Yeah. Um, because um, so my hypothesis that I've kind of proven um, anecdotally, but not with a peer review study, is that um, our Phytophthora was knocked out because Phytophthora is an opportunistic fungi. So the the fungi. Um, that's killing the tree is actually created a relationship at the root tips. It goes up in the cambium layer and it, it fills the tree and the tree invites it because the tree is seeking those relationships where it gets, uh, it trades carbohydrate for minor minerals at its root zone. Um, well, if there's no big beneficial fungi, it's kind of the phytophthora's uh, pleasure to, make a pitch to the tree and even though Phytophthora steals from the tree that's the tree creates that relationship but the tree if you bring in that fungal diversity that high amount of fun fungi the tree actually can um will will choose the higher rent payer so to speak will choose right. that beneficial relationship and these um big high full diameter fungi actually beat out or displace this small um, pathogen that is Phytophthora. Phytophthora is a tiny in comparison to our big um, aerobic fungi, the ones we're trying to cultivate in natural farming. Um, Phytophthora is this bitty guy and uh, it gets displaced by uh, high diversity. Yeah, wow. Um, I have just yesterday given some of my IMO3 to a... Uh, a tree scientist. He's a, he's got a PhD in um, truffles, or truffle uh, truffle pathogens. Um, so let's hope I made good IMO three. Hopefully you did. Don't don't be giving that away if you don't know you made that good IMO three. <laughs> there's a, there's enough of the bad name uh, going around. No, it's, I'm sure that'll be awesome, yeah. man. That's a great that's a great he's, thing. He's just gonna he's he's not actually gonna analyze it in the lab. I was like, well, if you know, if you want to, he's like, nah, I don't have the, the resources to do that. But uh, he's going to just try it around some trees and see what happens. Cool. Yeah, the, it's it's really hard to study um, for the isolation kind of studies they do. It's really hard for them to study um, IMO because um, it contains fungus, and you need this really strict um, lab because it can go, um, it can sporulate. And so it can go up into the air ducts and travel all over, and that's a um, that's a like a compromise of um, kind of control, and so right, they have yeah. to have these really special labs, and it's really expensive. Yeah. Wow. So you pretty much need to do the whole experiment or like isolation in a flow hood, plus all the testing and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's it, that's that's why it's hard. We don't we've we've had these like kind of petri dish approaches to studying microbes, and um, now we're starting to understand that there's a whole lot more than we knew. 
and we don't we're just it's it's a new frontier so it's we just don't have the kind of infrastructure in place to really ask the questions we we want to ask mm-hmm. well is there any other things that you would love to um, share with the listeners before we uh, finish up here yeah I mean if if people are wanting to give natural farming a go it's um start with the process that's been clearly given you know the I made videos so that people can get like the actual process and if you want to experiment or um, kind of go out on your own and come up with your own process because you see something and you're like oh I could do it this way I just really encourage that you do that after you learn how to do it the, the right way um, just because um, you won't know if something goes wrong, you won't know if it goes wrong because of your experiment or because you didn't make it right. And um, and just so just for learning, give it a try uh, the way it's taught. Where maybe it's just an American culture thing, but we we see something and instantly we're like, I want to improve it. And uh, before we even know what we're talking about, so it's uh, right. So you gotta you gotta know the rules before you break the rules. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That's a great way to say it. Sort of like cooking, in fact, isn't it? I was just gonna say that you took the words out of my mouth. It's (laughs) it's exactly like cooking. It's exactly like cooking or or playing the guitar or art. It's it's like you know Van Gogh. You look at those paintings and you're like this dude was touched but it's beautiful and but he he also could like draw perfect you know he he already had the mastery and then he he came out to to break the rules and in ways that um were yeah exactly like you said yeah yeah. just like cooking you know my uh my brother um is a muso and a producer and he plays jazz and he went to um, Idaho for the jazz festival there. And um, it's, you know, just thinking about jazz, you learn all the standards, right? You like learn all those different ones. And like, once you know those, then you're a jazz player. And then you can like do your own things, you know, session players, just they look at each other and they know what to do and they're like grooving. But they, they all know the standards. They all know there's like a bar that's set. This is how it has to be, and then you can improve on it. Yeah, yeah. And for me, like the the thing that I'm most grateful for in in my journey in natural farming, I feel like it was an avenue for me to understand how nature works. Um, mm. I I took that and those classes and and uh, went back, and I couldn't just deal with okay, well, because, you know, Master Cho said, do this, I'm going to do this, and never ask why. I needed to understand. And he told me, he said, natural farming is going to be different in Hawaii than it is in Korea. So you're going to have to figure out what works here. Well, everybody, nobody could make good IMO. It was all getting too hot, and people were having all these problems. And um, so I started asking the questions, and, and uh and since then, I've learned all kinds of things about how the world works. I'm, mm. I'm studying on my own. My little hobby study is how 
fungus interacts with fats and cell walls of plants are all these complex fats and and we talk about fiber well we 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 just think of fiber as something that helps us pass through our gut but at the same time there's like these things we're extracting from it and, and these these complex lipids these fatty acids and these fungi are eating these fats and breaking apart the fats and the acid chains and the, the the complexity of how this stuff all works. Did you know that we can take a vitamin, like say we have vitamin A, and our body can disassemble it and store different parts of it in like our kidney and our liver, and then when we need vitamin A, reassemble it and put it into our system? No way. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just... It's it's it. There's such a cool, like you said, rabbit hole of, of just learning, and uh, I feel like it's been kind of an avenue for me to can dig into that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, thanks so much for your time, Chris. I really appreciated um, chatting with you. And uh, yeah, where where could people find you if they want to uh, reach out to you or um, come to some of the workshops? Where can people um, learn about that? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually a friend's uh, making a website for me. So um, go to chrisTrump.com and uh, it's just the easiest way to uh, be able to field some of the questions I'm getting. And so, um, yeah, and I have a channel on YouTube and uh, I answer a lot of questions asked there and even put my uh, email address up on there. And um, keep in touch on Facebook and the Natural Farming Group um, and just questions given to me directly. And then um, on Instagram at, uh, at Soil Steward. That's all the avenues to get in touch with me. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Well, thanks for being on The Probiotic Life. All right, man. See ya. There you go. Another great interview. What did you guys think of that one? Chris Trump, what a legend, hey? So I really appreciate everyone who's been rating and reviewing. Uh, if you haven't done yet that yet, uh, please get on there and uh, give us a review. That would be great. You know, I want this show to be more than just interesting. It might be an interesting podcast, but I really believe that this can be a resource to help people change the way that they think about their life, their health, their community and the environment. So get on board, be an active participant, not just a passive listener. So until next time, thanks for listening. Cheers. Thank you for listening to The Probiotic Life. You can find us on Facebook at The Probiotic Life, on Instagram, The Probiotic Life, and on our website, theprobiotic.life.